Welcome to Entrepreneurship via the Unconventional Path. Hi, I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. And hey, Bela, something changed. Our longtime listeners will notice that the name of the podcast changed. Uh, when we started this a few years ago, it, it was the Unconventional Path, Entrepreneurship and Innovation Stories and Ideas with Bela and Mike. And now our new, much shorter and improved name, Bela, thank you, is Entrepreneurship via the Unconventional Path. Um, Bela, you want to explain a little bit uh, the logic behind the name change? Yeah, you know, so they often say, don't change the name, don't change your brand name. But uh, so what I've been doing is I've been trying to figure out how the search engines in these uh, podcasting applications work. Uh, because I want to make make it easier for people to discover the podcast. And since the podcast is about entrepreneurship uh, with the old name, uh, you know, the unconventional path, uh, that's, you know, entrepreneurship didn't show up until late in sort of the title. And, and some of these search engines in these uh, podcasting apps only allow you so many letters or so much space characters, I should say, uh, that they'll, they'll search on. So I wanted to get the word entrepreneurship, uh, earlier in the, in the title and get it to be kind of the key word in the title. Uh, so I thought it was really important to, to, to get that. And so I played around with various different titles and, uh, this is the one, uh, I came up with. It's sort of a bit of an experiment, uh, to see if it uh, helps to increase our listenership or not. And if, uh, when people search on entrepreneurship and their podcasting applications, uh, if we'll pop up or not. Uh, but I still wanted to keep sort of the unconventional piece in it because that's really the key theme of our podcast is this notion of, you know, not interviewing all of the rich and famous entrepreneurs that you heard of, but sort of uh, having conversations with the everyday entrepreneur, ones that we can always identify with and uh, that we can relate to and aspire to. I like it. And, you know, Bela, other uh, sharp eared listeners will note that we've taken a few months off uh, from between episodes of this podcast, but we're back now. Uh, and the focus is now on bringing you maybe fewer but more interesting guests. Um, we do get a lot of people interested in being on the podcast, which I find fascinating. Um, but we have a, high, high, a fairly high bar on who we think is interesting. You and I see eye to eye on a lot of things, Bela. And uh, so we always want to make sure that uh, that we find somebody that's really interesting and, and has a valuable uh, story to tell. Um, so that's it. Bela, who's today's guest? Yeah, so Andy uh, Mowat is today's guest. Uh, he is the founder and CEO of Gated. And I found this to be really interesting. So it's a super interesting product uh, that I think has the potential of changing how we all receive and read our emails. Uh, you know, so Mike, let me ask you a question. You're, you're still uh, working and uh, uh, gainfully employed. So how many emails do you get a day? Good question, Bela. It fluctuates a little bit depending on the time of year, um, how close to exams it is, things like that. Summer, the traffic's a little lower. But I would say on a, on a typical weekday, I get about 100 pieces of email, uh, you know, not including advertising and junk stuff. Um, and about half of those are ones I have to take action on. Um, so dealing with email is actually often a big, a pretty big chunk of my day, especially mine come in two languages, right? German and English. And English is easy, but the German ones take a lot of time. So I usually am spending at least one to two hours every day, um, no matter what, on email. So it's a, it's a, it's a big, it's a big part of my my workflow. Yeah. So Andy's company, uh, which is named Gated, basically places a fee uh, to the sender. Uh, in a form of a contribution to their favorite charity in order to get the email into your inbox. Um, so I was very intrigued by this concept. And, you know, Andy's a serial entrepreneur. Uh, he's been around the block. This is not his first rodeo, as they say. So he knows what he's doing. And we had a great conversation. So let's jump right into the interview. Hello, Andy. How are you? I'm good. It's been a while since I've been on Skype, so let me know if I uh, what I'm missing to be able to do. How is that looking? Uh, it's looking uh, just fine. Just so I can adjust the levels on my recorder here, uh, say your full name and what you had for breakfast this morning. Yes, uh, Andy Moat. It's pronounced uh, Moat rather than Moat. 
and uh, breakfast was uh, smoothie and uh, some cereal. Ah, very nice. Very nice. Well, welcome to uh, the podcast. Uh, thank you very much for uh, agreeing to be on the show. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks a lot. I, I love your approach, and uh, we definitely have a unique story. So I uh, look forward to uh, chatting all through it. Well, great. Hey, so where are you uh, physically, geographically? I live in uh, California near San Francisco, a little bit south. Oh, okay, great. I spent uh, about seven years uh, in Sacramento. Uh, oh, that's neat. I know it well. We, uh, I used to work for the family that owned all the Century movie theaters out there, and uh, got to know Sac pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I started a business out there with a couple of folks, and uh, this is back in the 90s, and uh, we had a great time out there in California. We sort of lived uh, east of uh, Sacramento, up in the foothills, so it was uh, quite nice. It didn't get as hot uh, up where we were as it did in uh, Sacramento, because Sacramento can which, be pretty Which town brutal. were you in? Were you a 50 town or an 80 town? Uh, oh, 80. Uh, ah, yeah. Okay. I'm, a 50, I'm a 50 guy, so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we lived in uh, Granite Bay. Uh, oh yeah, that's beautiful. Area. Right, right by the lake, right by Folsom Lake there, and just upstream from Folsom Prison. <laughs> so that's that, that was. <laughs> People old. don't realize that the, the, the two are there. I, you know, it's uh, but yeah, they are. Um, hopefully, you are long after the Johnny Cash days. But uh, yes, yes. Well, again, thank you very much for being on the show, Andy. Uh, and uh, so, tell me a little bit about uh, uh, Gated and what Gated does. This is the company that yeah, you're founder of and uh, CEO. Maybe I uh, start with the story of how we we came up with it, and it explains kind of how Gated works as well, too. But sure. uh, I've been a business-to-business exec, B2B exec for a long time and uh, grown a lot of companies. And as part of that, you get sold a lot of things. And uh, about three years ago, I wrote an email for all the people that annoyed me with all their emails that said, thanks for your email, um, but I don't know you. I Your email didn't reach my inbox. Uh, here, if you'd like to donate, Here's my Venmo link and uh, here's my charity. And if you want to do that, uh, I will guarantee I'll read your email. I won't guarantee I'll reply to it. And I started sending that out uh, with nothing behind it. And people started paying. And they didn't just pay, but they paid more than we were asking for. So I'd be asking for a dime or a quarter and people would pay me 20 bucks because the charity resonated so much or because they wanted to get through to me. And so I turned that into a business and uh, happy to talk a lot more about it. So Gated, in essence, is trying to solve the problem of the flawed economics of email. There's no marginal cost to send email, so people send an absolute ton of email. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that that reminds me of when you said there's no cost to sending email. Um, In the early days of email, I worked at IBM, and uh, this is, we had our own internal email system, but it's sort of before the external email system really took off. So we used to send emails internally all the time. And uh, I I had this notion that we needed some kind of tax on an email. So every time you added another person to the distribution list of your email, you know, you should get a little shock or something in your chair or some some sort of, because to add one person is just as easy as to add a thousand. Yes. And, and all of a sudden, you know, you'd get, copies of emails that I, I didn't need to know. I, it didn't matter to me at all. It's like, why are you sending me this and cluttering up my uh, my inbox? So if I understand what you said there is you're sort of putting a gate, um, yes. pardon the pun, on, on sort of emails coming into you. And these are from people who are fundamentally trying to sell you something? That's exactly right. It's um Yes, you nailed the problem and uh, and the solution, and uh, it's fun to hear you talk about how you thought about it. Uh, it's amazing the number of people that have said, oh, I thought about something like this. And uh, actually, in 2004, Bill Gates was at a conference and was asked, Bill, aren't you worried about spam? And he said, no, I'm not. Somebody will figure out how to put a small monetary cost on email. And so, uh, so we've been inspired by that, and we've watched all the other people that have tried to do it. But yes, we are... You're effectively putting a small tax, but uh, less on when you send it, more on when it's received. Okay. And I just got a note, Bella, that my video is stopped and yeah. frozen. Are you seeing that as well? Yes, your video is frozen. I don't know how to unfreeze it. Let me try. Just turn it on and stop. turn it off again. Try that. I will try that and see if that solves yeah. the problem. Well, you're, yep. you're, you're moving again. 
So <laughs> terrific. Apologies for that. No, that's okay. We're back. Uh, so, you know, email's been around for eons, or at least it seems yes. that way. And uh, so how do you sell this to your customers, right? So what's, what's, your, what's, what's the email that you send to people to get them to read it and to, uh, to, to buy into this uh, proposition? Uh, that's terrific. Uh, well, so first off, we don't sell it. We actually are giving it away for free. Uh, think of how Google gives away search but they are able to monetize from the other side. So we take a small portion of the donation. So that's one of the beautiful things about it. This is our, our vision and our mission is to give this away free to every single person that uses email. Um, and so we have this natural viral loop because every time we send out a challenge email, more and more people learn about what we do. Um, so we are definitely in the early stages reaching out to core target people and, and explaining to people and people are signing up. But uh, what we've really tried to do here is create something that is viral in nature and um that's that's how we're approaching it so who who is your target who, who who's our who's sweet your, spot today yeah eventually we're building this for every single person that uses email we we're seeing tons of people sign up for everything from personal email addresses to work um <clears throat> our core sweet spot today is business to business um folks that uh own buying decisions uh, that are not talking directly to customers and prospects. So marketing, operations, finance, product, IT, security, all are people that have a lot of buying decisions that get hammered by emails, um, but aren't day-to-day -day talking to customers, um, for sure. So uh, I have a challenge for you. Can, can you <laughs> set up a system like this for my cell phone? So the next time that the person wants to uh, sell me a policy to extend my car warranty, that, you know, they can donate a dollar to some charity? I love that question. We get a version of that probably every day. Uh, when people hear about Gated, they say, oh, my God, can, can you give it to me for my cell phone? Can you give it to me for LinkedIn? Uh, can you help me with Slack? Um, and so we the bigger vision that we're working on is, your time and that attention you have, every time you're interrupted, it makes you less efficient, right? Charles Duhigg, I think, said the ultimate productivity hack is to to spend more time focusing. And so the, the bigger mission for what we're doing is to help you protect your time. Uh, today, we've definitely started with email, and we think there's a real value in that focus. But uh, we do think a lot about how do we extend it to other platforms. Um, we do think Apple's doing a pretty good job of, uh, <laughs> and, and AT&T and those folks are doing a great job on solving the phone. Um, but yes, this problem is not just with email. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, who decides uh, what the tax is or what the, what ah. the fee is? Uh, so the user, uh, we believe this is really important. The user decides both their donation amount and the nonprofit that they would like the money to go to. Um, we start everyone off with the same donation amount, but then we allow people to move themselves up. So we've seen some CEOs move their and other influential people move their donation levels up pretty significantly. I think that's maybe one of the differences between what we do or LinkedIn, right, where LinkedIn has proven the model and you can message anybody with an in-mail credit, um, but a senior executive and an early career person cost the exact same to reach. And so we believe that, um, you know, there is a different price for every, every person out there. Hmm, interesting. So, you know, I reflect back on, on, you know, 30, 40 years ago when you were trying to get sales leads, uh, you did it through a, a piece of mail or you went to a trade show, uh, and you collected little cards that people filled out, you know, little bingo cards and things. And, and there was a high cost to those things. There was a, there was yes. a, a pretty high cost per per hundred leads or however you, whatever metric you wanted to use. And so, what are the uh, if pre-gated? So prior to having a, a a tool that that you have, how, you know what the sort of economics are of regular email? If I send out you know a thousand emails and I'm yes. trying to sell something or I'm trying to reach a certain you know demographic, what's my response rate? That's the most powerful piece about what we do. So today, cold email um, across the board, and we've gotten this from most of the companies, is 1% to 2% reply rate, right? Salespeople in particular, but lots of folks are suiting email into a void, and they're not hearing back at all. Um, with gated, and this is the most powerful stat we see and we track it all the time, is the percentage of replies for donated or promoted emails is above 50%. 
Um, and so what we think about a lot is the world we're trying to create is one that's better for the users because they get less email and that email is more relevant. And for the senders, which is instead of sending 100 and getting two replies, they can send 10 and get five replies. Um, and so it really changes um, both the user side and the sender side. Yeah. So if, if I'm a sender, mm-hmm. how do I pare down my list of a thousand down to a hundred? What's the, mm-hmm. you know, what, is there a tool that I use for that? I mean, right. I buy, you buy mailing lists, you buy these lists oftentimes when you're doing cold stuff. Uh, so how do I get that more focused down? Well, I think that's what we really want to create um, the potential to do. So there's tons of tools out there that help marketers, sellers, um, both find companies, but then also pare that down. You can pare it down by what tech stack are they using? Um, what, uh, you know, what demographics are they? Where are they located? How big are they? How many employees? What's their funding? Um, I think the problem today is because it costs you nothing to send to 10,000, you send all 10,000 companies. Right. Exactly. Um, but if you're living in a world that is gated, you're able to live in a world where it actually makes more sense to focus more of your efforts on writing better quality communications to a smaller group of people yeah. than spraying and praying. So we're trying to fix the incentives. So it's not, it, it's not about spraying and praying anymore. Yeah. So how does this, how does this sort of relate to online advertising? In other words, when I'm, you know, doing something in Google search or whatever my favorite search engine is, I get all those little ads and there's a certain cost to put those there. Uh, and then you can, you know, pay more to get positioned. And then once someone clicks on it, there's an additional cost. And then if I actually buy something, right, it's a tiered pricing strategy there. So how does, how does this sort of fit into that? Yeah, there's this ultimate irony, right, which is in any other marketing channel, and email effectively is a marketing channel. It's just a free one. In any other marketing channel, if two marketers want to reach one person, they bid it up, one marketer wins, and they get the ad. Uh, in email, everyone just sends you a lot of email. Um, what we're doing here uh, is we're effectively creating email as an ad unit, um, and we are, but we're giving the benefits of that to the user rather than to a company, or at least we're giving the, la- the vast majority of that to the user's charity. Got it. So if I'm if I'm the uh, the target for all these emails, I assume there's something that goes on my email side. Uh, some script or something that helps me filter these out and sort of separates the email I get from my mother and the email I get from the insurance salesman. How does that part work? Yeah. 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 We, we think that executives and people like you, they don't want to change their workflow, right? The last thing people need is another tool. (laughs) And so what we've done for today on Google and we'll do it soon for others is we, you just, you know, you've seen those buttons that say sign up with sign in with your Google account. Um, you just do that. And when you do that, we are able to see who has sent and received to you. We never look at the contents of the email. Um, we think that's really important. And so, um, in essence, we can see who you sent to for the last two, three years. And we know that if you've sent to them, you trust them. We can also say, hey, here are some domains that you send to frequently. And you can say, yes, I, I trust those no matter who's sending from those. That's the simplistic form. There's a lot more intelligence behind it. And that's um, sort of like tr- how a spam filter works to some extent, right? Or one of, one of the facets of a spam filter. Yeah, yeah. We, we think we're really focused more on productivity than spam. Um, we think that uh, Google, we will never beat Google at looking at the contents of an email and making those decisions. And frankly, we think that data is so secure and important that we don't touch it. And so we actually don't think we're a spam filter. We think we're much more of a productivity tool. Um, and we leave the world of the spam to Google who does it better than anybody. Um, but the concept, we're effectively making decisions based upon your relationship strength with people, who you know, and who you trust. Google and spam filters are making the decisions based upon what's the content of that email. Got it. Uh, I think the other interesting thing is spam filters assume everyone should be in and they should in your inbox and they should use data to pull it out. We take the other paradigm, which is we think, Nothing should be in unless you trust them. Um, and so we're definitely taking a different approach on that. And we do think we're actually complementary with what Google does for spam filters or, or any of these other yeah. places. Yeah, very nice. <clears throat> so let me uh, just switch subjects here a little bit, talk about the business. Are you guys venture funded? How did you guys start? Yes, we raised money. Um, we raised, when I started first talking to venture folks, they all said, oh, 
email. I've never seen a great email investment. Everyone's trying to build a $30 tool to help people manage their email. And we're trying to do something different. Um, we're trying to give that tool away free and monetize it in a different way. And so I think the people that really understood what we were doing were the go-to-market executives and sales and marketing folks that have lived this problem. Yeah, so the, guy, the guys who've been four, sending out millions of emails. <laughs> yes. In, in four days in April, we raised um, a, a, an initial round. Uh, we also took some really special investors, right? So Bill Gates, his former technical chief of staff, spent three years on this problem inspired by Bill. And uh, when I met him, he ended up investing um, on the spot that day. And so we've got we've got a lot of folks. And then since then, we've added some funds. Um, but we we haven't fully announced all the all the folks behind us yet. But we uh, we're out to change the world, and we think to do it right, we will um, we'll need to raise more money over time. Yeah. And so we're we're uh, about to start to announce it more publicly, and you're one of the first places we're doing that. Oh wow! Well, thank you, thank you very much. So uh, talk to me a little bit about. I'm going to change the subject again. Let's let's go back to to Andy as a ten year old kid uh where'd you grow up you know what was your family like siblings etc yeah yeah i uh bay area born and raised um siblings uh two uh two younger siblings and then uh, went off to college in uh in new jersey at princeton for uh figuring that if i didn't leave california i never would and then i i kept going east i went to new york to be an investment banker i um actually end up uh, living in London for a couple of years and then running a grocery store chain in Eastern Europe. And there's a crazy story behind that one. Uh, and then finally I made it back to California and just realized how great California was and how great yeah. technology is as a business. Well, okay. So, so you, you left that hanging out there. So tell me about the grocery store chain in Eastern Europe. So I took nine years of French in high school and in middle school and I went to Princeton and I failed the French placement exam. And so I felt like an absolute idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, congratulations, you got to take two more years of French. And I said, under no circumstance am I going to take two more years of French. So what was going on in the world in 1991 was uh, Eastern Europe was uh, falling apart and it was really interesting to me. And so I I effectively did a matrix analysis and uh, Czech was the most anglicized characters, um, was one of the most beautiful cities in Prague. And I, it turned out there was a former CIA spy that was running the uh, the Czech program at Princeton, uh, or at least that's how I tell the story. And so I, I took two years of the language and got much deeper in the history of the economics and all of that. And so uh, when I was in London and we bought a Czech grocery retailer, I happened to be the guy with the language abilities and uh, it's not a bad place to spend a year and a half in Prague. Oh, very nice. And so uh, what did you learn from from that roll-up process? The roll-up process in uh, in Eastern Europe? Yeah, or in, uh, yeah. I mean, I was managing people that were 60, 70, that had been living their entire professional lives under communism. Yeah, uh, and, and, and exactly. They would literally wake up at 3 a.m., go to work at 5, and be done by 2, and uh, and and they were motivated by very different things. And so I had to learn how to lead people, how to communicate and do business in a language that wasn't mine and, and I wasn't fully fluent. So I had to work with a translator. I had to learn how to inspire people. And I had to learn how to have people that have like incredibly different perspectives in life, um, motivate those people. Yeah. So it was, it was a big eye opening experience for me moving from, the intellectual side of banking to, to the real business world. Yeah. And, and I mean, you not only are you sort of had all those challenges, but you're talking about a huge cultural change for those individuals. Yes. Right. Cause yes. the, 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 the comp communism sort of collapsed. And so all of a sudden their world is drastically different. It, it was absolutely amazing. And it was, it was just to see everything about how they viewed the world, how they, viewed authority, how they, how they, you know, how, when, cause they went from, as you said, they kind of had a binary change that happened very fast and versus a lot of other places where it had happened over time. And so it was really interesting to see. Yes. Yeah. And I, I guess the same thing played out in China. Um, the, the ironic thing is I didn't stop to think that the Czech Republic only had 10 million people in it. So the, the value of learning that language wasn't as great as, Chinese, for example. <laughs> right. Well, you traded French for for Czech. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, 
You know, it's interesting uh, talking about this because um, I was born in Hungary. Mm. And, and uh, so, you know, after World War II, Hungary was yeah. behind the Iron Curtain, communist. And, and my, my mom uh, talks about her father and how pre-communism, you know, he used to get up like at four in the morning and mm-hmm. go work out in the fields and come home at dark. And, you know, he was, he was really tired and all that stuff. And then communism came after the war. And, and he used to say, I've never had a better life because I, I go to work at seven, I'm home at three and I get a paycheck <laughs> and it doesn't matter whether I work hard or whether I work none at all. And, but of course he lost all his land, you know, there's sort of other trade-offs and, and then as uh, capitalism and, and Hungary was one of the more progressive countries yeah. from the point of view of, of uh, capitalism, I'll say, and, and inching its way towards that. And, and then sort of the whole notion of, you know, a capitalistic sort of economy got stronger and stronger and stronger. And then my mom t- again tells the story about how her father got like real excited then because there was a direct relationship between sort of what he was doing and and sort of the results of it. Uh, did you see any of that happening in in sort of your tenure there in Czechoslovakia? Oh, yeah, it's uh, I I probably was more insulated than most. Mm. You know, I, I lived four blocks from the Charles Bridge. I walked into a Western apartment in the evenings and I, at the same time, like I'd go to, to, to random places and you know, play company soccer games in little tiny towns. So I, I probably didn't get to know the people as well as, as I could have. So I, I maybe didn't see it, but um, it was an amazing like life opening experience of realizing how different cultures can be in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, and people say the California culture is different than, other parts of the United States, for sure, right? <laughs> Even in the United States, we have this huge cultural diversity from, you know, various different states and even within a state geographies, right? Ca- San Francisco is very different than Los Angeles, is very different than Sacramento. And we have the same thing in, in New York, which is where, where I'm at, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I've, I've found this passion for travel and in the last two years with uh, with COVID, you can't do it anymore. Um, so it's, uh I think that's one of the dangers of this time we're living in right now is people stop appreciating all these different cultures as much. Yeah. So let's go back to gated. Um, yeah. How does, how does this change the dynamic between the buyer and the seller? So there are 10,000 ish tools helping sellers, senders send more email. Um, so there's even the term marketing automation, right? Where you sure. effectively just automated right. this monolith where every individual email isn't sent. So already I think, you know, buyers or users are at a massive disadvantage. Um, one of the folks at uh, Gartner actually coined the term. He's like, oh my God, you're building buyer automation. I think we are. Um, our bigger vision is we want to give users of email. We don't just call them buyers, but users of email, um, the ability to defend their own time and determine like, who they want to connect, who they want to kind of start to talk to, uh, when they want to start to talk to them as well, too. And so our our true vision in this is to equalize the arms race just a little bit. Um, Everyone that's selling, sending to you or the vast majority of emails, I think I found some stats of like 90% plus of emails aren't sent by people. They're sent by um, automation and maybe even more than that. Um, And so we're just trying to give a give kind of a balance back in that equation. It's interesting. Um, the the reactions to people when we do this, we are doing a social experiment, right? Because people are used to email being free and every email hitting your inbox. And so we've actually, you know, we've got to come up with a bunch of analogies, right? Um, it's, uh, it used to be really strange to get in a stranger's car. Um, now right. it's normal. Um, right. It used to be strange to have a stranger uh, sleeping on your couch. Um, now it's normal. And so gated, you know, early on as we start to drive the adoption, it's a different social experiment when people get this, like, Hey, wait, you're sending me a challenge email saying to reach me. Um, if you think about it though, um, for years, there've been bots on the other side, sending most of those emails. And so our, our vision really is to bring about more parity and give the users who are just overwhelmed in life and everything they do, whether it's Slack or email or whatever, uh, we're trying to give them some back some power in that equation. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, how does, does this, I guess I'm thinking about, I'm a small startup and I'm, I'm trying to market and sell my products mm-hmm. and my competition is a large fortune 500 company. And I look at sort of their marketing budget and, you know, their ability to pay to get somebody to open an email is different than my ability to fundamentally pay to open an email. How, how do you, how do you sort of think about that? So I'd say companies wise, it's actually a fairly easy answer, but there's an interesting diversity and equity that I'll touch on in a second. So I mean, think about it like Facebook or Google ads, right? It's the same thing. Um, the, the ad is either going to pencil or not. Um, you're going to say, listen, I, that person's time is worth me to pay for it or not. So if you're in the business world, I think, you know, we're just, it's funny, we're, we're putting a cost on something that's never had a cost on it before. And so people have a interesting initial reaction to it. And so I think in that case, I feel very comfortable that we're actually just creating a better use of a scarce resource, which is user's time. Um, you know, some of the areas we do think about from an equity perspective are, uh, you know, maybe a disadvantaged person that's trying to reach out for their first job and network in and things like that. And I think that's where the charity aspect, we can actually give back and help in that. Um, and so we're, you know, there's, there's not, they're not perfect answers to those questions, right? It's, um, you know, remember when the congressman was asked, what's the definition of pornography? And he said, I, 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 I know it when I see it. I think that's the exact same thing, right? In email and, um, you know, what, what is a relevant email or not, you know, it when you see it. And so I think we, we spent a lot of time thinking about how do we, how do we make the world better for everyone? I think I would argue that if you're if you're a disadvantaged person and you're sending today, you're getting stuck in an email box with a ton of other stuff. If we can yeah. clear out that noise, it's still about is that dollar or two or three worth it? I think that's the other thing, too, is our we didn't ever get into it, but our, our donations range from a dollar to ten dollars um, there. Those are the minimums. Um, one of the most interesting things is 40 percent of people donate more than we ask for. Right. So if we ask for a buck, we'll get a $50 donation sometimes because the charity means so much or they really want to make an impression on our users. And so the, the, the amount to get into the inbox is not prohibitive. We're not charging hundreds of dollars for this. So is that 50, for example, is that $50 per email or how, how does that how, yeah. help me understand so, that a little bit more? Um, so the minimum amount that we default everyone to is a dollar. Okay. So a dollar. Yeah. Um, use that example. Yeah. A dollar per email. Um, it is, if you, Donate and it comes through, um, the user then has the determination of do they want to engage with that or not. If they reply, you're good forever, um, for as long as they're okay with it. If they don't reply, presumably you probably need to pay for the next one <laughs> as well too. And so um, it's it's super smart and the user doesn't need to do anything to be able to allow you. It just happens automatically because we see if they replied or not. So okay. um, it's, it's a dollar for every impression, but the second somebody had, says, Hey, you're good. Um, then you don't have to pay anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So is, is there also a bidding process going on here? In other words, uh, let's say I'm a car company and I'm, I'm car company a, and I'm sending out emails because I'm going to sell cars to a certain audience and I'm car company B and one of them pays a dollar and the other one pays $2. And let's say the same person gets both of those or the same person is targeted for those two emails. Does that person get both of those emails? Because those emails aren't coming at the same time, there's not an active bidding process. But what we see is we generally, you know, we'll take off between 20 and 40 percent of your inbound email, all the stuff that's irrelevant. Um, That's kind of what we see in exchange. We're kind of trying to work with the users and we coach them to dial it into it between five and 10 donations a month. Got it. Uh, and so if you're starting to see, yeah. we had one user, he was a CEO, we put him on, he's like, what price should we start at? And he said, start at a dollar. He got 12 donations in the first week. So we dialed him up. Um, and so there is, so it's not a bidding process on every single email, but over time between our coaching and the, and the system starting to provide inputs to people um, and just the decisions of the users, um, that price kind of gets yeah. Up yeah. So basically what you're saying is, is, is you're, you're hopefully weeding out all the stuff that I, I have absolutely no interest of dealing with, but I just still have to go through and delete it at least in my inbox. 
Bingo. Yeah, we want when you come in today, the first 10 minutes is spent on deleting stuff that's irrelevant. We we want you to come in and everything in that inbox to be relevant. Yes. Either it's somebody you know or it's somebody that's made a conscious decision of I just sent an email to Bella. Um, oh, my gosh. Bella's asking me to pay a dollar. Is this relevant to Bella? Because uh, if it's not, I shouldn't pay. <laughs> and right. so we for, we force that decision. And so everything in that inbox is then you're starting from a position of it's good, it's relevant, and it's a pleasure versus the other. And so you know, we had an outage uh, and people were, our users were paying us being like, when is this back? I miss it. My productivity is terrible. Uh, and so we know we've given something of real value to people. Got it. Got it. Super. So are there, uh, I want to wrap this up. We've been, we've been at it about 30 minutes. Um, is there anything I should have asked you that I haven't? Uh, yeah. So I, there's a fun one to ask around kind of my story of when I got back to California, I'd say two things that definitely influenced me around the concept of productivity. Um, one is I read Tim Ferriss's book, the four hour work week, and it just changed my mind. And I immediately picked up the phone and said, I want to go work at Elance or Odesk and got offers at both and ended up working for a couple of years on there. Um, it was really fascinated by that. But I also, out of that, ended up running a virtual assistant outsourcing company for three and a half years. Uh, so we had VAs in South Latin America and in Asia, and we basically worked with busy executives to outsource all of their pain. Um, so I got to see this problem at a really intimate level for three and a half years. Um, and one of the tasks that every executive would ask us to start off is, I'm overloaded by email. Can your assistant do that? And I came to the belief that that is the worst task to outsource to an assistant because the context is so high on email, right? It's hard. You don't know all the things that are in my mind around that person. If they say, hey, you know, Bella, I was just referred to you by so-and-so, or I see we know this person in common, but that person's irrelevant. Um, it's very hard decisions. So it's kind of exciting because we think we can take off that initial triage for all these people that are overwhelmed. And so it's fun. I've been studying these productivity problems for years. And yeah. We're having a lot of fun with Gaten. Yeah. And, and that example you just gave about the context is important. Yes. Um, how, how does Gated solve that? We don't solve it, but we are able to, so it's the job of a salesperson to beat all the all the hurdles, right? To get into your inbox, to in a genuine way still trick you into reading the emails, um, you know, beat the spam filters, get through the undeliverability issues. And so we we basically say, if I don't know you, I and I haven't communicated with you before, here's a gate. And so it, what it does is it. But we're smart enough to say, hey, if you and I are emailing and then you copy, yeah, yeah. introduce somebody else, we're smart enough to do that. So it's a rules-based system um, with a little AI um, coupled in with it today and a lot more soon um, that is intelligent enough to make that first level of triage for somebody. Yeah. So uh, let me, I just, as you were saying that, it got me thinking. So can I put different prices on different uh, people sending me emails? It's coming. Okay. Um, it's not here today. We've, we've, it's, it's one of the most exciting things we think about, right? Because somebody that's selling you a list or an offshore, um, uh, offshore software development, um, should cost a lot because you just, you, you know, those are dead. Um, we don't use, we don't look at the emails to do that. But, um, one of my favorite quotes is from a venture capitalist. He said, someone's trying to sell me wealth management or private jet travel. It should cost a hundred dollars an email. Um, and if somebody's sending me a new business idea to invest in, that should be a penny. And so I think we think a lot about how do we do that. And if we are the trusted defender of your time, yes. you start to feel comfortable telling us what you're interested in and what yeah. you're not in. Yeah. Uh, do you have any competition? Who, who, who are there other people? Po I mean, there's a lot of people, like you said, trying to do reinvent email in one form or another. Um, what, what kind of people are you banging up against? We don't yet. Um, talking to you, um, somebody may listen and do it. Uh, there have been probably about 20 legitimate attempts of something around this idea, and I've studied them all. Um, I'd say there are tons of people trying to reinvent email. Most people are trying to – here's how we say it. Um, gated, there are tons of tools that help you manage the mess better. 
gated stops the mess from ever happening in the first place. And so there's tons of people that are reinventing your clients and helping you do all that. That's not our focus. Um, I do, we, we think a lot about it and we, we think it's a big idea, um, but uh, we're, our goal is to change society and um, we, we welcome the competition because we think this is something that needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a great way to end. Uh, Andy, thank you very much uh, for being to uh, agreeing to be on the show. I really appreciate it. And uh, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. It has as well, Bella. Thank you. I, I'm sorry I didn't get to ask you a bunch of questions. I'm fascinated by your story, but I will I will listen to I will continue to like listen to more of the podcasts and uh, really a pleasure talking to you today. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Have a great day. Well, Bela, you were right. That was really an interesting interview uh, with Andy. Lots to think about and lots to digest. Let's start with your thoughts. Well, conceptually, I really like the notion of a better filter on my emails. You know, even being retired, about 50% of what I get goes right into the trash. Uh, most of them I don't even need to open. I can just tell by who it's from or what the title is that it's, that it's trash. And, you know, I use Gmail and in there, I can mark things as spam or I can mark things as, you know, unsubscribe. They, they've made that part is easy to sort of help them filter emails better into my spam folder. But man, I still get, I still get a lot of them. And, and I'll tell you, like you, when I was working, I, I'd spend several hours a day uh, going through emails and I was always paranoid about throwing something out that I shouldn't, right? That's going to come back and bite me at some point point in the future. And uh, so I think having some type of tool that does a better job at that is is really needed. Interesting. I totally agree. And, you know, this is an interesting example of applying economics, uh, which some call the dismal science, I might add, uh, to the problems of everyday life. And I think this is a problem that everybody can relate with. Uh, but particularly, I like this idea in the specific context where Andy was originally developing this, this idea. So managers um, and people who have a lot of sales calls of people trying to get in front of them, whether it's uh, somebody who's trying to sell you an industrial product or people who are trying to get an interview for a job, something like that. I think um, this is a really interesting um, interesting kind of concept. Um, but I really liked your point about thinking about startups and Fortune 500 companies as different types of users. And they might have different needs and kind of different um, you know, limitations on the resources they have that they could throw at a problem like this. Um, and I was trying to think about how I might apply this concept in my world where most of my emails are from students and academics who, who want something from me typically. Um, but these are not exactly people that might be happy about having to donate some money in order to get through to me. And, you know, after all, I'm, I work for the, the state of North Rhine-Westphalia. I'm a public, uh, my university is public, and I'm a public servant. I'm a, a German civil servant. Um, so there could be an ethical issue there with actually having to pay people to get access to a, a civil servant. But that's kind of a separate uh, a use case and a small issue. Um, but I did think about maybe students would have to prove that they did their homework before their email comes through to me. I'm kind of kidding about that, but I, I like thinking about this. Um, so yeah, that was kind of my thoughts. And I'm just a little curious about the revenue model um, that he talked about, about how they're going to skim a little bit off each donation. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I first I wanted to comment on, on what you were saying there because it, it got me thinking about, um, you know, my, my, my son, Jason, uh, who's, uh, who's the computer wizard, He's a software guy um, in the family. And, uh, you know, whenever I'd get a new device or something, I'd, I'd call him up to ask for help. And then he instituted the one-hour rule. And he said, he said, Dad, you know, uh, don't call me unless you've spent at least an hour trying to figure it out on your own. And, you know, that's reasonable. And I, like I, I think back, yeah, and I think back, this is, this is not dissimilar to that, right? It's putting a barrier in there. Uh, and I think back to, you know, before we had email, there, there was a much more significant cost associated with reaching out and doing cold calls to people and sales calls, right? You either had to dial the phone, mm -hmm. which meant for every call, your, every interaction, you're investing time in it as well. And now I can invest the same amount of time, whether I'm sending one email or whether I'm sending 10,000 emails. So the price for the sender or the pain threshold for the sender has come way down. 
and it's really made it possible for them to, to as we all know, send out all sorts of spam, which was, which was much more difficult in the old days of when you had to lick stamps or you had to pick up the phone to call somebody. So having some sort of mechanism to balance out that equation a little better than it was in the past, uh, like it was in the past, I should say, I think is, is a good concept. Um, and yeah, and, and you know, how you do this equitably is a real challenge, right? You have, you have different groups of individuals. Uh, you know, if IBM's trying to get through to people, you know, they have sort of one budget for marketing and sales or a new company has less or like your students, you have different types of interaction. So it's not something that sort of works across the board, or at least you have to have ways of tailoring it. Now, he did say to me, uh, as, we, as we were chit-chatting, after, after uh, we turned off the recorder, um, you know, I said, so I'll, I'll let you know. I said, Andy, I'll let you know when the podcast comes out. But of course, I'm going to have to make a contribution to something in order to do that. And he goes, well, actually, what, what happens is you get back an email that says, hey, you know, I'm using Gated, you make a contribution. And then there's actually a little box you can check that says, I know Andy. And if you check that box, then the email goes through. Mm, so interesting right so there but but again that 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 works on a personal level because it's coming back to me i'm opening it i'm reading it and then i'm checking the box so it it sort of again puts another filter in there for sort of sending out a thousand emails um so yeah i i think it's i think it's interesting concept it's something that people have been working on for a long time in many different ways and it'll be interesting to see what what kind of what kind of traction happens here? And yeah, how does he get paid? I mean, the service is free, right? So they've decided that you can sign up for their service for free. So you would sign up or I would sign up. Uh, and then uh, people sending us emails would, would and, and then we can set the price and we can, we can set how it works and, and with different categories. Uh, and then, but they've decided to use that model uh, and then and then take a percentage of those donations as opposed to charging you or I for their service. What the right business model here is? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, and uh, we'll probably see how that evolves over time as well. And he's a smart guy. He's probably done some A, a B testing or something, looking at it a couple different ways because it's fascinating to me whether I'd rather pay for it or think, oh, okay, I'm not going to have to pay for it, but the charity's going to lose 5% or whatever the, 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 you know, the, the percentage is. It's kind of interesting, but you know, he thought he's thinking about the equity issues. And I like the fact that he, you know, he talked about that. He understood the, that there was, there was some issues there. Like for me, I have a hard time with restricting people um, to get through a gate based on their ability to have money, even if it's a small amount. I mean, in my world, again, I'm more internationally focused uh, than I used to be in my career. And I regularly get email traffic um, from from professors and staff people and students and potential students in South Africa and Uganda and Chile uh, and Colombia and so on, and where the average income is much lower than the U.S. or Germany. And even 50 cents is a lot in these places. And there's lots of inflation right now, like in Chile and, and Colombia. Um, and sometimes Poor people have awesome ideas and can, or can, can can provide some really great value to me. So, you know, uh, before I would use something like this, you know, I would need to think about the ramifications of this access, uh, of kind of this pay-to-play gate. And you were saying earlier, and I really love this idea, maybe there's some different ideas um, for gates that you could do um, that would be more equitable and that I might choose some different gates than somebody who's a, a CEO of a company in the U.S. and wants to use the, the model um, of the charity donation. So th- I love the idea, but I, I, you know, for me, it's like, okay, this, this, I'm not a typical c- user of, of gated. I don't think, um, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe this is, this is a tool that, you know, solves a part of a problem. Um, but th- there's a, there's a much bigger problem as, as, as you say, and this notion of making it equitable and, you know, it's, it's, it would be wonderful if I could figure out a way to filter out all of the emails I get from people trying to sell me uh, insurance to extend the warranty on my car or the warranty on my home, right? I'd love for those people to pay 10 bucks in order for their email to get through to me and have that $10 go to, you know, some charity. Um, but how I separate those folks out from, from, 
you know, a young entrepreneur who heard about me and is trying to contact me because they want to have a 15 minute conversation about their idea. Uh, how do I distinguish between those two when they're sort of coming in through this big fire hose pipeline of emails? I, I don't know. And, and, you know, maybe that's where some AI and some tools kind of come in and, and help people sort through those things because that person I want to talk to, I want to talk to that, that entrepreneur who has a business idea and is looking for some guidance and advice, but I really have no interest in talking to the, or reading the email from the people, person who's trying to extend my car warranty. Um, so it's a, it's a big problem. And, uh, I think it's, it's sort of an interesting approach and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, something will come out here in, in five years. My prediction is there will be something here that's much better than what we have today. Uh, what it is, I don't know, but it'll be much better than what we have today. Yeah, but Andy's put himself in a great position to uh, to be one of the people that figures that out. You know, this might not be the exact solution right now, but one of the things about entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship um, is, you know, design thinking approach that you and I have talked about before is iteration. And you you learn from uh, from doing, not from just sitting around thinking about it or talking about it. You're actually building products. You're getting it out there. You're getting user feedback, customer feedback. Uh, you got smart people thinking about this stuff. He's obviously got some funding. Um, so I think it's a great story and I think it's a, it's a space to watch. Um, you know, I, I hope that this is really successful and I think I totally agree with you that this is probably one tool to solve a problem that he's really clearly identified that we have and that you identified about there's zero cost for spam emails and, and spam phone calls. Um, and it's a way to level the playing field, but I kind of see the future where this is kind of one stream and there might be some other streams that, um, each of us can configure in our own way to help, um, to help serve our needs, uh, in the best way possible. So yeah, great story. Great, interesting person. Bela, great, great find. What do you think? Should we wrap it up? Yeah, I agree. Let's wrap her up. Great. Listeners, thanks for joining us today after kind of a short absence on a new name. We hope you found the the uh, episode interesting and thought-provoking. And if you have questions about what we've discussed or ideas for future guests, uh, please get in touch with us as always. Our email is still bela.and.mike at gmail.com. And please do follow the podcast if you haven't already. Just hit that follow button on your podcasting application. So until next time, signing off from upstate New York. See you soon, Mike. Sounds great, Bela. As always, thanks from over here in Münster, Germany. See you soon, or auf Wiedersehen, as we say in German. <laughs>